today we are starting a six-week series on kind of the last six thoughts that uh, kind of wanted to communicate as we uh, begin the transition and begin this process of, of what God has called our family to do, which is to move to a role at IBL and to, uh, to leave you all. And uh, we're trusting God to work in the middle of that process, which we know he will. Uh, God has been more than faithful to Whitneyville Bible Church over the uh, almost 60 plus years that it's been in existence. And so over these next six weeks, we're going to address six major thoughts of things that we need to be working on, things that we need to be doing, things that we need to kind of have on the forefront of our mind, and uh, things that, uh, that are essential as we continue to think and move forward as a church. And so I've entitled it, We Are Family. And what are the six things that our family needs to keep in mind as we continue to move uh, through this time and transition through this time? And so this morning, as you hopefully have picked up on the theme, as Jonathan has uh, led in worship, has been revolved around the Holy Spirit. It's uh, Jonathan mentioned during the Sunday school time about the number of uh, hours and time it takes to prep to put music together. One of the challenging things about putting music together is to find good, decent music regarding the Holy Spirit. There's really not a lot of songs that are out there and things that are out there that, uh, that have some substance to it. I don't know why that is, but uh, uh, if you have ever tried to find music regarding the Holy Spirit... Uh, there's just not a lot out there uh, regarding the Holy Spirit. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, specifically, we're going to be looking, drawing out from verse 18, Philippians, or Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, but really looking at the rest of this section, this paragraph of Scripture that really begins up in verse uh, 15, as Paul is addressing the church at Ephesus as he moves through this section from verse 15 down to verse 21. And uh, as you'll see, verse 21 is actually a transitional verse that bridges us into the next three sections of Scripture that deal with how do we submit as a husband and a wife? How do we submit as children and, and parents? How do we submit as slaves and, and uh, masters and, and slaves? And so this is all leading to verse 21, which is really uh, propelling us into that next section of Scripture. And so this morning, we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, and following, it says this, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. If you have an old King James Bible, it'll say walk circumspectly. It'll have that idea of being circumspect. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So that should clue us in that what he's about ready to tell us is part of the will of God. Whenever you see a phrasing like that, Paul is kind of introducing you to this idea to say, this is what the will of God is. If you ever wonder what God's will is, this is one of the things that God desires. Verse 18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord uh, with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another 
out of reverence for Christ. Let's have a word of prayer as we begin this morning. Father, we, we thank you so much for all that you have done for us. And Father, as we are dealing with challenges that are beyond our comprehension in our world today, we thank you that you are still perfectly in control. Though we don't understand it all, though we don't understand what is gonna happen and what the outcome is and what will transpire, we are thankful that you are in control. And as Jonathan prayed earlier, Father, our world, our nation is in a crisis. And Father, I pray that you would allow us as believers to live and to minister and to proclaim as faithfully as possible the work of Jesus Christ as seen in the filling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, on some regard, if we believe that the gospel changes things and the gospel changes people, it's a, unfortunately a sad commentary on churches in America that we've had a lot of public profession, but not a lot of heartfelt engagement with the work of the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us as Whitneyville Bible Church. This is our context, our world that we live in here. Help us as believers of this congregation to do what we can to both personally and corporately be being filled with the Spirit so that through his power and through his enablement, we may faithfully proclaim Jesus Christ to the honor and glory of God the Father. And Father, we thank you for all that you have done for us. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen. You should have received, uh, if you're here in person, a little handout that has the outline. Uh, I don't know if we have any more of those left. You should have received an email. Uh, for those of you that are home, you can pull that up on an email and kind of follow through. And uh, I, I hesitated to give a lot of information at the beginning, but I thought when you do a message on the Holy Spirit, it's vital to actually give some understanding of the Holy Spirit. We'll explain that in just a little bit. But uh, So a lot of what you have in front of you is really just introductory things that I wanted to let you have. And don't worry, there's like you look at that and go, holy cow, he's got a lot to say. Um, I usually don't have a ton. Uh, we're really going to focus on that last section. That's what we're really driving ourselves to. So we're going to go fairly quickly through a lot of that introductory stuff. But I wanted you to have that because I think it's helpful for us to understand the, the big picture of the work of the Holy Spirit. A.W. Tozer wrote this in his book, Preparing for Jesus' Return, Daily, uh, Daily Live the Blessing Hope. Holiness, as taught in the scriptures, is not based upon knowledge on our part. Rather, it is based upon the resurrected Christ indwelling us and changing us into his likeness. So you say, well, how does the resurrected Christ indwell us? If we believe that, the whole, uh, that Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, who is living within us? It's not Jesus, it's the Holy Spirit. 
It is the third person of the Trinity that is living within us and dwelling within us. And often the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Spirit of Christ. There's a, a, an interesting relationship that exists actually between all of the Trinity, but between Christ and the Holy Spirit. John MacArthur stated this, just as Jesus Christ is the primary person behind justification, the Holy Spirit is the primary person behind sanctification. A believer can no more sanctify himself than he could have saved himself in the first place. He cannot live the Christian life by his own resources any more than he would have saved himself by his own resources. There are a lot of believers who, well, they have to agree that Jesus Christ is the one that saved them. If they're a true believer, they, they have submitted to the fact that Jesus Christ is the one who died on the cross. It is his finished work that brings them justification. But then there's a lot of believers who say, well, yes, Jesus Christ saved me. And I think the Holy Spirit does some stuff in there, but let's face it, I do a lot of stuff. And they move from total dependence upon Jesus Christ in justification to dependence upon themselves in the flesh and sanctification. And if we're not careful as believers, we can easily sit there and say, well, Christ, you handle justification, I'll handle sanctification. And you're just as foolish as the person who says, I can handle justification on my own. Oswald Chambers said this, the Sermon on the Mount is not a set of principles to be obeyed apart from identification with Jesus Christ. The Sermon on the Mount is a statement of the life we will live when the Holy Spirit is getting his way with us. And so this morning... Our first statement that we want to look at and examine is this. We are being filled with the Spirit. We are being filled with the Spirit. The challenge that exists for believers is how do we allow and enable the Holy Spirit to do his work in our lives? I will say when I was four years old, I have no knowledge of any time in my life where I went significant time without being at church. Church has always been part of my life. And it's very easy for me as someone who has been saved now for 39 years to sit and say, well, I, I mean, I know a lot about the Bible. I, I've done it. I went to Christian school. I've memorized books of the Bible. You know what, Holy Spirit, why don't you, why don't you go help somebody else that needs a little bit more assistance than me? Um, I've got this, and you can get some help for somebody else. I would be a fool to say that. But in reality, that's how a lot of Christians actually live their life. Living their life to say, well, I can handle this, I can do this, I can, I can accomplish this, what God has allowed me or called me to do. So we wanted to look just briefly at some of these things that the Holy Spirit does. You say, well, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, make more mention of this in just a little bit, but the Holy Spirit is actually the most disrespected member of the Trinity. If you've ever thought about this, God the Father, we, we are so thankful for him that he sent Jesus Christ. And we're so thankful for Jesus Christ that he came and died. And then for believers, it's kind of where we stop. Thank you, Jesus Christ, and thank you, God the Father, and we're so thankful for what you've done. And oh yeah, I, there's probably some other person in the Trinity that we should say something about, but let's really focus our minds and thoughts on God the Father and God the Son. And we fail to really reflect upon and to think about and to dwell upon the work of the Holy Spirit. So what is the work of the Spirit? As you have there these seven things that the Spirit does, there may be other things as you nuance these things theologically, but these seven things are gonna be major works of the Holy Spirit. He draws us. 
John chapter 16, the Spirit is involved in drawing us to Jesus Christ. Even before salvation occurs, no person of his own volition comes after Christ. There is none righteous. There is none that seeks after him. You didn't get saved because, well, you were a decent person, and of course it made sense, and you should follow Christ, and so you decided to go after him. In your unsaved, depraved condition, you were not seeking after the things of God. Who brought that to your attention? Who drew you into that relationship? It was the Holy Spirit working in your life, bringing you to that awareness, bringing you to that point. John chapter 16 reminds us of that. Second of all, the work of the Holy Spirit is that we are baptized. There is a spirit baptism. This is where our, uh, if they are truly, in fact, brothers and sisters, some of our charismatic brothers and sisters have some differing opinions and differing thoughts on what exactly the spirit baptism is. But the spirit baptism occurs at salvation and never occurs again. We are baptized into the body of Christ. We are, we are what's called the spirit baptism. It places us in membership with the body of Christ. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. The spirit baptism, it provides union with Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection. We see this in Galatians 3, 27. And it provides union with other believers. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. The baptism of the spirit is not some anointing that I'm just you know what, I'm hoping and getting into a trance and just praying that somehow this is gonna happen and then boom, I get hit with this and now I'm doing cartwheels down the aisle or I'm rolling around and screaming out crazy things. The charismatic brothers and sisters would say, well, there's the anointing and the, the spirit baptism and, and you need to have that in your life. Otherwise, you're not, for some of them would say, you're not saved. The spirit baptism is us being immersed, is being baptized into the body of Christ. It places us into membership with the body of Christ. It provides union uh, with Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection, and it provides union with other believers, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, the Holy Spirit indwells. The Spirit permanently indwells believers and empowers them for what God has called them to do. We see this in John chapter 14, verse 16. The Spirit indwells the believer, permanently indwells the believer. So to our Nazarene brothers and sisters, or to others that would have other thoughts and ideas regarding the eternal security of the believer, we would say that according to John 14, 16, other passages of Scripture, the Spirit permanently indwells the believer and empowers them for what God has called them to do. Number four, the Spirit seals the believer. Believers are kept safe and secure through the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Ephesians chapter one, verses 13 through 14. The Spirit seals us. Number five, the Spirit illuminates. He brings the truth of God's word to a place where we comprehend it and comply it and can apply it to our lives. We see this in Ephesians 1, 17 through 18. So the Holy Spirit draws us, baptizes us into the body of Christ, indwells us, seals us, illuminates the truth of God's word into our lives. Number six, he convicts us. The Holy Spirit continually convicts us of sin to continue to lead us in the way he desires us to go so that we can become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. What does the Spirit want for you? 
his conviction in your life is not because he's bored and he wants to bug you. The conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life is to conform you to the image of Jesus Christ. That is his goal. That is his job. That is what he is desiring to do. So he illuminates the truth of God's word to us. He convicts us. Romans chapter 8, verses 5 through 9 reminds us of this. And then number 7, he assures us. The Holy Spirit assures believers that they are, in fact, the children of God. We see this in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 through 16. Seven major works of the Holy Spirit. He's drawing us, bringing us to salvation. He's baptizing us into the body of Christ. He's indwelling us. He's sealing us. He's illuminating us. He's convicting us, and he's assuring us. That is what the Holy Spirit is doing in my life. And that's what he's doing in your life. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is at work doing these things presently in your life. But the believer's relationship with the Holy Spirit has some personal aspects as well for things that we have kind of control, if you will, over with regard to our relationship with the Holy Spirit. First of all, we can grieve the Holy Spirit. When the believer lives in perpetual unrepentant sin, he grieves the Holy Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. Those of you that are parents can fully comprehend this. If you have children that are not living or doing or acting or functioning as you have desired them to do, it grieves you. But a myriad times more is the Holy Spirit grieved by the actions of those that he indwells so that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. When the believer refuses to actively engage in a relationship with the Holy Spirit, he quenches the effectiveness of the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. 1 Thessalonians 5, 19 explains this. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. But thirdly, we can walk with the Holy Spirit. Believers walk with the Spirit when they conduct their lives in a manner that is in line with what the Spirit is leading them to do. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. We are to walk in the Spirit. So we can grieve the Holy Spirit. We can quench the Holy Spirit. We can walk with the Holy Spirit. Those are things that we have impact into and we have uh, effects upon this process. And then finally, number four there, we can be filled. Rather, we must be being filled. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, that brings us to the heart of our text this morning. Believers are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So you look at these 11 things, just a brief summation of the process of the work of the Holy Spirit with the believer. He draws us, he baptizes us, he indwells us, he seals us, he illuminates us, he convicts us, and he assures us. We can grieve him, we can quench him, we can walk with him, we can be filled with him. So it's no wonder then that we can say this. The Holy Spirit is the most active, daily, active person of the Trinity in the life of the believers. And yet simultaneously the most unnoticed and underappreciated member of the Trinity. I mean, you think about this. If the Holy Spirit were a human being, he would be protesting with a sign that says, I want equal recognition. 
but the Holy Spirit isn't a human being. He is a member of the Godhead. And even in the midst of being a member of the Godhead and the most active and the most unnoticed and the most underappreciated member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit is still okay with how we as believers treat him and our recognition of him because he is fully satisfied in his role and relationship within the Trinity. You see, unlike us as human beings, God needs nothing from us to be completed. He is perfectly, fully satisfied in the Godhead. That doesn't mean that we say, well, <laughs> good thing the Spirit doesn't really need us because I wasn't giving him any credit anyway, and well, I guess we don't need to anymore and now. What do we need to say? Wow. What an amazing person the Holy Spirit is who works tirelessly, if we can even use that statement, in the lives of believers and is the most disregarded, unnoticed, unappreciated member of the Trinity. Think about it. We sing songs like In Christ Alone, On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. All the songs, I challenge you. Go find a hymnal, grab it this afternoon, take one from here, bring it back. <laughs> Look up songs that talk about Christ and God the Father. I guarantee you 95% of that red book, 95% of the songs will talk about God the Father and will talk about Jesus Christ, and rightly so. And a mere smidgen of songs will even remotely refer theologically accurately to the Holy Spirit. The most underappreciated, the most unnoticed member of the Trinity, and yet he's not sitting up there going, man, what's wrong with you guys? You get all the recognition and I get none. The Holy Spirit is perfectly satisfied in his role within the Godhead. As he draws, as he baptizes, as he indwells, as he seals, as he illuminates, as he convicts, as he assures, as we can oftentimes do, we can grieve him, we can quench the work, we can walk with him, and we can be filled with him. Say, wow, I never really knew all the work that the Holy Spirit did. He is the one who is actively, daily working in our lives. He is the, the substance of our walk and relationship. He is the substance of all that we are as a believer in this process. And so we come to Ephesians chapter five, verse 18. And Paul says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Not take a rabbit trail there, although I'd love to take a rabbit trail there. Paul is not saying don't have alcohol. He's saying don't get drunk, why? Because alcohol, taken to a point where you are intoxicated, controls you. The, the concept that Paul is addressing here is not about alcohol, per se. It's not about being a teetotaler or abstaining from alcohol. Paul is saying, listen, there are some things that can control you. Alcohol is one of those things that can control you. You can drink to the point where you are intoxicated and you have no capacity to be able to control your functions. Don't be controlled by alcohol. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit. 
The same concept that Paul is addressing in a negative context against alcohol is what he's flipping on its head and saying, you're to be controlled by something, not yourself. Don't be controlled by the alcohol, but be controlled by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Let the Spirit be the one who is controlling you. Let the Spirit be the one who is filling you. And so in verse 18, Paul is making a simple assertion. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. Remember, this all fits in the context, starting in verse 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of your time because the days are evil. That's true every day. It feels more true today. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So Paul is addressing believers, and he's saying, listen, in a fallen world, in an immoral world, in an evil world, don't be fools. Don't get sucked into the mindset of this fallen world, and don't allow yourselves to live in such a way that is going to bring shame and dishonor to God but allow yourselves to be controlled by God. Be filled with the spirits. And in that simple little statement, but be filled with the spirit, Paul actually addresses three major components of the filling of the spirit. The first one is it is a command. This isn't like, hey, you know, if you guys have nothing better to do, may I offer the Holy Spirit as somebody you would like to engage with? That's not the language that Paul is using. The language that Paul is using is not, you know, I know, man, I know you guys are busy. I know you have a lot of stuff going on. I know there's a lot of things, but if you could find some time to squeeze the Holy Spirit in, that'd be tremendous. Paul is not suggesting this. Paul is commanding this. You be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the will of God. What does God the Father want for you? God the Father wants for you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Trinity is constantly complementing one another. The Trinity is constantly working in harmony together. God the Father doesn't say, hey, man, everybody knows, knows I'm the best. I'm the greatest. I'm on top of the food chain, if you will. God the Father doesn't say that. Jesus Christ does not say, I'm the one that died for you guys. Come on, I deserve more credit. Right? Philippians chapter 2. As Christ's death is communicated, he took upon him the form of a servant. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To whom? To the glory of God the Father. The role of the Son in dying on the cross for us was the entire purpose was to glorify God the Father. And the work of the Holy Spirit daily in our lives is to say, we're wanting to glorify God. We're wanting to glorify the Trinity. We're wanting to glorify all that this represents. The Trinity is perfectly satisfied within itself. It is not reliant on us to be completed. So Paul says here, this is a command. Be filled. Also, it's perpetual. Say, well, I was filled once. Um, October 17th, 1987. That was a great day. Um, Man, I just woke up feeling really good that day. Um, It was just like a Saturday, and I didn't have much else going on. I read my Bible that morning, and I was like, I'm filled, man. This is great. Don't need to do that anymore. That's not the way this operates. This is a perpetual action. The Greek is written in such a way that says this is an ongoing process. Every day, like 
we wouldn't think about it in terms of eating, right? You wouldn't say, well, I ate once. Um, it was like March 17th, 1981. I ate once. I don't need to eat anymore. Every day you wake up, what do you think? I need food, right? If you have teenage kids, they're constantly reminding you of the fact that they need food. It's a daily occurrence. That is the concept within the work of the Holy Spirit. It's every day I am to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is a passive statement. It's not active. What does that mean? That means that this is not something I am doing. This is something I am allowing the Holy Spirit to do in my life. In other words, this relationship of being filled with the Holy Spirit is something that I have control over, if you will. The Holy Spirit doesn't come over me and say, Dave, you have no choice in this. I'm just going to fill you. This written in a passive voice, which means I am allowing myself to be filled with the Spirit. So it's a command, and it's perpetual. But there is a condition on this command that is perpetual. It is conditioned upon my obedience to God. It's conditioned upon my obedience to the work of God in my life. In other words, I am being filled with the Holy Spirit when I am allowing myself to do what God desires of me to do. So we would say this from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. You, believer, be continuously allowing yourself to be filled, permeated, and controlled by the Holy Spirit. So you stop right there and you say, well, whew, not doing that too well. Man, I mean, we could stop right there and say, that's enough for us to work on. You, as a believer, be continuously allowing yourself to be filled, permeated, and controlled by the Holy Spirit. That's a lifelong process. Nobody's mastered that. There's a variety of ages in this room. There's a variety of people watching online. No one has mastered this. But every day, this should be our pursuit. God, allow me today to be continuously filled with the Holy Spirit, permeated and controlled by him so that everything I do brings honor and glory to you. Remember, the Trinity, I don't wanna get off on a Trinitarian service, but it all fits. The Trinity is all about bringing honor and glory to itself. The three persons of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, their entire functional role is to glorify themselves. Why? Because they're God. You say, well, that sounds really arrogant that they would do that. They're the only ones that get to do that because they're the only ones who are God. Their entire goal and purpose is to bring honor and glory to themselves. So if the Holy Spirit is in us and filled within us and we're allowing him to fill us, that's permeating us and controlling us, what is gonna be the natural outcome in our lives? We're gonna glorify God. Why? Because we're being controlled by the Holy Spirit. And the only thing the Holy Spirit is gonna do is glorify God. That's his only choice. He can't do anything else. The Holy Spirit is not gonna glorify you. The Holy Spirit is not gonna glorify Satan. The Holy Spirit is not gonna glorify anybody else. His only job that he can do is to bring everything about so that it brings honor and glory to God. So if I'm permeated and I'm filled and I'm controlled by the Holy Spirit, by default, what am I gonna do? I'm gonna glorify God. People try to work this up in the flesh. Oh, man, God, uh, help me to just be good enough this week to glorify you. Great. 
You know how long that's going to last? Five minutes max. Somebody's going to say something. Someone's going to do something. Something's going to transpire. And you may try as hard as you want to, but the flesh is fully incapable of bringing honor and glory to God. So how do I bring honor and glory to God? How do I allow myself to be what God wants me to be? This is the will of God. I allow myself to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can engage in the relationship the way God intends me to be. So how do we know? What does it look like to be filled with the Holy Spirit? All of that was introduction to these four verses. 18, 19, 20, and 21. How do I I know that I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit? If this is what I'm supposed to be doing, how do I know that I'm doing it? Is it because I I, I didn't say any bad words this week? Is it um, I I went to church this week? Is it uh, that, oh, I I witnessed to a, a coworker this week? How do I know that I'm being filled with the Holy Spirit? What are the marks of someone who is being filled with the Holy Spirit? These four things, is what Paul is going to tell us. He says, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be being, but be being filled with the Spirit. How does this look? Verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the first mark of a person who is being filled with the Holy Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. These are all participial phrases, meaning that they're there to modify the imperative. The imperative is the command. The command is be filled with the Spirit. These four statements, actually there's five, but we condensed them two into one. These four statements are all talking about how do we fulfill this command. The first one in verse 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I have to admit this one is worded a little odd. Because if you're like me and you have a cynical, sarcastic sense of humor, you may say, oh, okay, how does that look? Like I start talking to people and singing to them? Oh, Jonathan, I'm so glad you're here. No, we don't do that. But if you're a cynic, you may think, oh, this is crazy. We just address one another in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. I enjoyed, I guess that's the right word, reading several different commentators. If you, if you read some commentators' take on this, they kind of are all over the place trying to explain this phrasing. And I think based upon their musical backgrounds or lack thereof, they have different twists and ideas. If you come to the heart of this, God is not telling us that everything we do should be done in a sing-song, not opera. I hate opera. I'm not an opera fan other than the Phantom of the Opera because it's got cool music. But I don't understand like why somebody pays money to go listen to people talk to each other while singing to each other. I, I've never comprehended that style of drama. But that's not what Paul is talking about. This is not a basis for opera. This is not a musical. What is this? This is the heart and the substance of the word of God, which is being communicated out of the mouths of believers to other people. In other words, Paul is not saying, hey, you got to get a degree in music in order to be spirit-filled. He's saying the the mark of a spirit-filled person is that they will address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. In other words, the substance of their conversations, the substance of their communication is going to be the word of God. It's going to be rooted in the things of God. 
It's going to be grounded in what God's word has for us. So I have to look at my communication. I have to look at how I talk. I have to look at how I speak. I have to look at how I think. We can go through the entire section of scripture that talks about, for as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. We can go through all the passages of scripture that remind us of the fact that what comes out is based upon what's in here. So we put garbage in, you're gonna get garbage out. And so as a believer, we're being filled with the spirit. If there's garbage coming out, you can be assured that that is not coming from the spirit because the spirit's one job, the only thing it can do is to work to bring glory and honor to God. So if garbage is coming out in your communication or your thoughts or your actions is coming out, you can be assured you are not being filled with the spirit. We should be addressing one another, speaking to one another, talking to one another, conversing with one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs rooted and grounded in God's word. The second mark of a person who is being filled with the spirit, and these are the two that we kind of clumped into one. Again, you could delineate out each one, singing as one and making melody as one. We're combining them together, probably much to the chagrin of musicians, but we're singing and making melody to the Lord in our hearts. The second mark of a person who is being filled with the Spirit. They are singing and they are making melody to the Lord with their hearts. We sang together this morning, and may I just add, I know Jonathan's expressed this before, but so I'll say this carefully because I don't want to offend, which seems to be capable of doing at any moment, but it is good to see you. It is good to see people in here. And it's good to see you there, even though we can't really see you, but we know you're there. We love everyone, you know, kumbaya, but it's good to see people, right? Because when you're doing 10 weeks of this to an empty room, after a while, your brain starts playing tricks on you. And you think is, is uh, I love the Deku family, but, and I'm sure they love me, but after a while, after you see all of this, you're like, is there any, what else you got? Is there anything else out there? And it's good to be able to be back together in this process of being back together because we need this relationship with one another. And it begins in how I have a relationship with God in the vertical and then how I have a relationship with one another in the horizontal and we're singing and making melody. And so this morning we get to sing together. We haven't done that in this room in a long time to hear other people singing. But not everybody has a beautiful voice, right? Not everybody is like, hey, I'd love to grab a mic and come up here and sing a solo. But you know what? God doesn't care about that as much as he cares about the fact that you are making melody and singing in your heart to him. My dad ushered at church for basically all my life growing up. He never, never sat with us. He was always out. He was always, he was always the one taking care of stuff. But I remember as I got a little bit older, towards the end of my high school years, and even when I'd come home from college, my dad was sitting in the auditorium with us. And he, he always told us that he couldn't sing. And then I sat next to my dad and listened to him sing. And I thought, you probably weren't wrong. 
there's, there's not much melody that's coming out. There's not a, that, that's not joyful on the human level. But you know what it was joyful to? It was joyful to God. Because here was a man who at 21 years of age, who spent his time in bars and spent his time doing everything else, was miraculously saved, and his whole life has been, I wanna give praise and honor to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so my dad would sing, and he would sing every song, and it wasn't good from a human standpoint, but it brought honor and glory more than sometimes what can happen up on a stage by people who are just mechanically going through the motions. The concept of a spirit-filled person is this, his heart is overflowing with praise and adoration to God. His heart is overflowing with joy for what God has done in their lives. The believer who is filled with the Holy Spirit will have a peace and a joy and a grace that exudes from their lives. You know it as well as I do. You can meet somebody and you can say, man, there's, there is something distinct about that person. It's not that they're inhuman. It's not that they never get frustrated or upset, but there is, a, there is an abundance of joy that just seems to be oozing out from them that they can't control. Why is that? They are someone who is being filled with the Spirit. And unfortunately, at the same time, we can meet people even in church who the entire overflow of their heart is nothing but nastiness and crotchetiness and crankiness. And the results, you have to say, is you can tell me all day long you're walking with the Spirit, but your life is telling us something else because it's exuding the rottenness that's in your heart of the flesh and not exuding the joy, the grace, the mercy of the work of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So first of all, the mark of a person who is being filled by the Spirit is they are addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Second of all, they are singing and making melody in their hearts to God. And thirdly, they are giving thanks, verse 20. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There are many times I read scripture and I think, you know, Paul, you could have just left it at one word. I mean, it's, which one of these words is easier, right? Giving thanks always or giving thanks for everything? I don't know, they're both hard. If Paul just put one word in there, I think that's a lifetime of work to work on. Giving thanks always. If he just said that, I would say, okay, that's gonna be a lot of work for the rest of my life to allow the spirit to work in me that Dave Deeds always give thanks. And if I could accomplish that, I'd be grateful. But Paul says, giving thanks always and for everything. That's a hard thing for us to imagine. That's hard for us in our physical bodies and our flesh to think about and to comprehend. How do I give thanks always? And how do I give thanks in everything? We're reminded, of course, of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And that's an important verse. It's an important text in this particular passage in Ephesians chapter five, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything. It's just as difficult. How does Dave Dietz fulfill Ephesians 5.20? It is not, I can assure you, because I have been saved since I was four years old because I went to church all my life and I've memorized some verses. It's not because I'm a pastor either. Trust me. 
having a certificate on a wall, having a title, having a position does not grant me what I need to be thankful always and for everything. In fact, I find myself many times going, I, okay, you know what, God, <laughs> I don't get this one. And, and I'm, I'm not feeling very thankful for it. I'm not feeling like I should always be thankful, and I'm not feeling like I want to be thankful in this situation. God and I sometimes have a tumultuous relationship. He's the kind of the steady person in my life, and I'm the one who's like all over the place. And he just faithfully, consistently brings me along, transforming me each day as he desires, as I allow him into his image. The mark of a spirit-filled person is someone who is giving thanks always and giving thanks in everything. How do I know I'm being filled with the spirit? That when life doesn't go my way and life really stinks, I can truly and honestly say, you know what, God? I'm thankful for an opportunity to see you work. I'm thankful for an opportunity to see you guide me and to see you love me and to see uh, you help me to follow you. I'm thankful for an opportunity for you to show me that I'm not the one that has to be in control, that you are perfectly in control. The mark of a spirit-filled person is not only addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, not only singing and making a melody to the Lord in our hearts, not only giving thanks for everything and always, but finally, number four, it is submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. You say, you know, one of these marks, we could spend a lifetime. Let's just go with the first one. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns, would it be possible that every communication that comes out of my mouth to other people is rooted in the word of God? I would be thrilled. When I got done with my life, I would be thrilled to say that was true of my life. But then you have four other things. And you're like, oh, this is not, this is not possible to do. And it's at that point that you fully understand what Paul is driving at. Because we could look at this and say, well, if there was one thing, um, how about for the rest of your life, you believers just work on addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. I, man, I know I'm not going to be perfect, but I feel like I could probably get to the point where I'm mostly doing that. And I would feel pretty good. I'd like, good job, man. You, you most of the time address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. But then he says, making melody, singing and making melody in your heart to the God, the Father, to the Lord. You say, well, what? Oh, man, like the first one was really hard, but maybe I could have done that. The second one, yeah, not so much. You're really making it hard. And then he says the third thing, give thanks always and everything. And you're like, come on, are you serious? There's more to that we have to do? And then he says number four, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it's at this point where you go, I can't. I cannot do this. And that is exactly the point God wants you to be at. There are too many believers who look at these things and say, oh, well, I could, I, you know, I could probably do that. Yeah, I could probably, I could, yeah, you know what, good. I could probably do it. That arrogant, foolish believer will never be used by the Holy Spirit the way God intended the Holy Spirit to use him. It is the person who comes to this and says, there is no way on earth I could ever do this. I can't even do the first one. 
let alone the other ones. And it's at that point that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit say, finally, there's something we can do with this guy. Because now we can have you being filled with the Holy Spirit, who, by the way, his only thing he can do is to bring glory to God and fulfill these things. He can't do anything else. And it's at the point as a believer when I come to this and I say, I can't do this. The only way I can do this is through the work of the Holy Spirit. To allow myself to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that when I communicate with others, I'm speaking to them in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, that I am singing and making melody in my heart to the Lord, that I am giving thanks in everything and always, and then I'm submitting to one another. That is the mark of a spirit-filled person. As a believer, as we go through this life and we are told here to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, that is a difficult, difficult thing. We are all at different levels, but we're all strong people. We don't naturally like to just roll over, play dead, and submit to somebody. You know, one of the greatest practical endeavors in fulfilling Ephesians 5.21 that I've experienced, the most uh, uh, realistic application of this in my life is in the role of plurality of eldership. Because you know what? Dave Dietz has a lot of opinions. I have thoughts and I have ideas. And I don't mind sharing those. But you know who else has a thought and an idea? Dave Tanner has some thoughts and ideas. And he doesn't mind sharing them either. And Michael Hornick has some thoughts and ideas. And he's nicer about it, but he doesn't mind sharing his ideas. And then there's Jonathan who will share his ideas, but he'll give you a hug and tell you he loves you while he does it. And I have to live within a plurality of eldership that says I'm not king on this island making all the decisions myself. I have told the leadership this often, and I think others that have been a part of the leadership process, you, I'm just telling you, you would not want to attend a Baptist church where I was the pastor and the head pastor and without any checks. You wouldn't want to do that. I wouldn't want to do that. You don't want to do that. We come to verse 21. What is the biggest daily challenge sometimes for me to be filled with the Holy Spirit is to live within a plurality of eldership model. When we're zinging emails back and forth about something and I get frustrated because I can't believe he said that again, doesn't he know what I wanna do? And we have to learn what? How to submit to one another. And then we bring the deacons into the mix and they got a whole another set of ideas. And now there's a whole group of guys working at submitting to one another so that we can move a body of believers forward for the cause of Jesus Christ. Not so that I can say, I got my way. This is what we're doing. So that we can say, you know what? This is what God has called us to do as a body. The most difficult challenge you may face is living in a spouse relationship, submitting yourselves to one another in a husband-wife relationship. That's difficult. 
Some of you, you may just be children, and, and one of the difficult things that you have to work through is submitting yourself to your parents and submitting yourself to that authority. And the Bible reminds us, Paul reminds us here that the mark of a spirit-filled person is this. He will submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. That's difficult. That's a challenge for us. But the believer who is being filled with the Spirit is going to be somebody who is addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He's going to be somebody, she's going to be somebody that is singing and making melody in their heart to the Lord. They're going to be thankful in all things and always, and they're going to submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. I would argue this. We cannot, certainly cannot, and must not minimize any command in Scripture. I don't think anybody would be right to tell you we can minimize some commands. We don't have to follow them as much. So we can't minimize any command given to the believer. However, if we're going to prioritize one command over any other command, the command to be filled with the Spirit must be the command that we emphasize, that we strive for, and that we pursue. Because the only way that I, as a believer, can truly fulfill any of these other commands is to be filled with the Spirit. It's not the most important, it's not the most supreme. It's a command of God like anything else. Be holy, love God, do all these other things. But I'm not going to be able to truly do those other commands of Scripture unless I am currently fulfilling this command of being filled with the Spirit. As a believer, sometimes we get frustrated. It's so hard for us to fulfill this command. And yet the very substance of how to fulfill it, we are not allowing to happen. We're not allowing ourselves to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And so as we think about these six thoughts going forward over these next six weeks, what should Whitneyville be thinking about? One of the things I believe is crucial for us as a group of believers is this. Are we being filled with the Spirit? Or are we simply just working in the flesh? Because sometimes when you see church life, you kind of have to scratch your head and say, how does a believer function like that? Well, it's very easy. If you're not being filled with the Spirit, you're being filled with the flesh. You're living in the flesh. You're displaying the flesh. And the flesh is nasty and it stinks and it's rotten. And as a body of believers, whether you're in this room or watching online or wherever you may be, one of the things that is vital to the health, the spiritual health and well-being of our church moving forward is that we are being filled with the Spirit. May he be allowed to work in our lives and in our hearts, and may God receive all the glory and honor for what is accomplished. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word this morning. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We thank you, Father, for the Spirit. So much recognition is given to you and to the Son, and rightly so. But Father, forgive us for neglecting the amazing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. May we each allow ourselves to be filled 
with the Spirit. We pray these things in your Son's name. Amen.